0: And go. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of pressure to start these podcasts. Stakes are real high. Uh huh. How are
1: I'll, you doing today? I'm good. I have a. I don't want to use the word precarious, but pillow, book, microphone. Don't touch it. Speak directly into the mic. Look you in the eye. Balance going on, <laughs> and I I feel okay about it. You look great. Thank you. You look like a professional podcaster. I am in my summer wardrobe, uh, which is my overalls, different, you know, different shirts underneath them, but I I wear them three or four times a week. If you were at the festival, are these the overalls that you got to see on Sunday? They are. (laughs) And we usually, you know, as backing up on the festival, things that people may or may not probably don't care about is since the very first year. A friend that worked for Jane Rosenthal, who ran Tribeca Film Festival, still does, I think. Uh, she gave us the tip to pick all of our clothes out before and label them and have everything like planned. Because the last thing you want to do is wake up and be like, what am I wearing? So, just fun fact we've done that for, uh, I think we even did that during the virtual years. So, 11 times. And this was not the one I planned to wear on Sunday as the first time ever that I called an audible on Sunday morning and said, I cannot wear another dress. I just cannot do it. I am going to wear overalls. And I felt real good about that choice. I feel like you rock these overalls first off.
0: And uh, I don't know though, thinking back when they came
1: into your wardrobe. I do, I do Uh, your 40th birthday. It was a I, great, great day. I, I bought them to go on the trip to West Texas to celebrate your birthday. And they just felt some. it was about a year ago, actually, because it was I felt sometime in August, I was like, you know, I used to wear overalls all the time, all the time as like a teen. And I hadn't worn them in like a good 1520 years. I was a teen even longer before that um, and saw these at Free People. They're Levi's. They have holes in the knees. They're extremely comfortable. And I'm going to say nobody else has to agree or disagree. I feel both comfortable and not like I'm wearing a bag. Like they're somewhat flattering. They are still baggy overalls. But sometimes the things that are very comfortable are not form-fitting at all. And you just look like a blob. Anyway, Sunday. Great choice. I was real happy about it. Deep thoughts on Deep overalls. Thoughts. You guys are welcome. It is nothing to do with today's topic. So I do believe today is our first syndication project release, and it is called Telling Authentic Immigrant Stories on Television, which is presented with Hollywood Health and Society and Define American. Um, but it is part of our the syndication project. Track guys, lots of words. So sorry. So, I thought we could tell people a little bit about what the syndication project is if you want to kick it off. Sure.
0: So, the syndication project is ATX Festival's nonprofit branch and it has the mission of advocacy through storytelling. I feel like it took us a while to get to that succinct of a phrase, and we knew from the beginning or for a very long time, that we wanted it to be around the power of storytelling. Like that's a big thing that we just believe in for the festival in general. And pretty much everything that we program and every person we bring in, there's some look at through the lens of what is this story that is being put out into the world. And that could be, I think we use the phrases like, is it entertaining? Is -hmm. it educational? Is it enlightening. Are there other mm, words? That- there's probably <laughs> lots of other We love buzzwords. But really for the syndication project, it was looking at when you're watching something and you get really inspired by what you're watching and you really want to get involved in whatever that may be. I feel like even going back further, um, I think after the 2016 election, everyone for various issues had this moment of wanting to do something and like really wanting to like make a difference in the world and get involved in things. And when 2017 hit, everyone, whatever side people may be on, like got involved in different things. And there was like this huge rush of major moments and then like it all went away. So it's this feeling of like, okay, I want to do something, but what is that? Mm -hmm. And so we really look at stories that are really powerful. And most of them are about communities that are not the communities we're a part of. And you see when people are either not represented in the way that they should be, or are suffering in ways that we don't know about, or just, you know, any story that really moves you. And it's like, I want to be involved in this story. What do I do? So we wanted to start an organization that really looked at like, okay, I've seen a story. I've been emotionally affected by it. And now what do I do with that? And how do I get involved? And the truth is like there are nonprofits out there that are doing a lot of these efforts and making movement. So it's how do you connect a story to a cause and then to an action? And the best way that we knew how to do that was have conversations about them. And that's really how the syndication project track was born is we see all these series that have these amazing storylines. So let's bring on the nonprofits that actually understand these storylines and understand what the people who these storylines are about really need. And then people can figure out how to get involved in whatever issue it may be, we call them nonprofits or cause related organizations, because there is some sort of cause. And sometimes that's something like representation. Sometimes that's something like immigration. Sometimes that's something like dog rescues. I say, as my rescue dog is curled up behind me, um, that it's just like, what do people do when you get really see something? And it's so far beyond the realm of the world you live in, but you really want to get involved and help people we want to help supply some efforts and how to do that.
1: Yeah. I think it's funny. I, I don't want to say I'd forgotten, but the track is so specific, but our triangle of issue cause and action was always like at the cornerstone of the syndication project, which also for those that don't know, the reason it's named that is because syndication is essentially amplification. Like when it gets to a place that there's enough, in television, enough episodes that it is then syndicated. It means that it's going to play in more places, maybe even internationally, and it's going to grow. It's at a certain number of episodes. I actually don't know if that still applies, given all of the Mm -hmm. world changing. But that's why it seemed like a great name for our organization, being connected to television, but also being about amplifying uh, and storytelling through advocacy, through storytelling, as Emily said. But I think it's also it can even be the stories that you are a part of that world, but you don't know how to, you know, make a difference or make a change or see all of the different elements of those storylines or characters. Um, So like this year we have this panel that we're announcing today. We do a lot of work with Hollywood health and society. They're a part of a few different conversations we'll be releasing, but then I think something that like points out whether it's dog rescues, which I'm still looking for the right pairing there to, Mm -hmm have that represented but like this year we did a a panel that we'll be releasing with the civic leadership story project which is really about representation of civic leaders on television and they've done studies about like positive representation um so it's not you know it could be your pta or you know, Abbott Elementary or things like that, that show like how people make a difference and an impact in a political system, even on a small level. And I think the reason I like that one as an example is, I think when we talk about representation on television and potentially like minority groups, whether it's religion or race or gender, a lot of people are like, oh yeah, those things, these, these big things, today's is a big thing, immigration and and representation of the immigrant story on television is a very big thing, but it can also be dog rescues or mm-hmm. civic leaders or any number of thing down to a very micro and just noticing how the power of story is affected across basically the groups you are or are not a part of and what that looks like in a landscape of television that is now so massive, where it used to be three channels and 12 shows we now have 600 shows like you can go super niche you can go super broad and like being able to talk about all of those stories in educated ways and having people take notice
0: and also know which is what I love about these panels and the panels that we try and curate for them is all the stories are different I feel Mm -hmm. like especially when it's a community that you're not familiar with we get because series can be TV shows can be limited on how they portray things. So you only get one viewpoint into something. And so then you lump a whole community or a whole issue into this one storyline. And that is the representation that, you know, so it's so important to be like, no, an immigrant story. There's countless immigrant stories, even if we're only seeing a handful on TV, there's so many more that we don't know about and don't even know are possible of what people are going through when, you know, they not even just move to America, but are moving from country to country and what their story is. And I feel like the more we can show them on TV and the more we can show them is not um, the defining characteristic of a plot or of a character. It's like that just person, they're an immigrant. They, mm-hmm. It's just part of who they are, but it's not even the story that they're trying to tell. Is like right. a really interesting part and i feel like the more we do these panels the more that that's possible and people are getting ideas and people are seeing different
1: stories like that so I get really it is hard for these mm-hmm. that we don't let the syndication project track become all of the programming <laughs> <laughs> yes <laughs> every uh, oh mainly because that is hard sometimes like we have a lot of really great partners and we want to tell a lot of different types of these stories and every year is a little bit of that balance amongst many many things to figure out what is part of the track and what's not. Um, and that's why I like that this one, you know, we do have such, for those that don't know, Hollywood Health and Society is uh, an organization founded by Norman Lear, and they work at USC Annenberg, and they touch a lot of different subjects and support a lot of different organizations. And that this is the first time we've paired them with another organization to find American um, that is focused on the immigrant story and the variety of all the things that that means. When we did this in June, June is a month to spotlight immigrant stories. And so it just really worked out. And I like that they work together on the panel. Um, It is moderated by Charlene Jimenez from Define American, which is really cool. Um, And it does have a representation of a lot of different types of immigrant stories on it, but they're all kind of creators, showrunners, EPs, writers on the panel, which is obviously the people who are at the forefront of telling the story, which is very cool. Enjoy.
2: Hello, Austin. How are we doing today? Are you all ready for another awesome panel? All right, let's do this. My name is Charlene Joy Jimenez. I am the daughter of Filipino and Indian immigrants, and I am the Director of Partnerships and Advocacy at Define American. We're proud to co-present this panel today with our friends at USC Hollywood Health and Society. Shout out to Kate. Uh, For those of y'all who don't know Define American, we are a nonprofit culture change organization and we believe in using the power of storytelling to humanize conversations about immigrants in Hollywood, journalism, digital media, and beyond. Uh, we, We really believe that you can't change the politics of immigration until we change the culture through which immigrants are seen. Uh, so how, how the heck do we change the culture? Um, one way that we do that at Define American is working directly with showrunners, writers, uh, development executives on immigrant storylines and navigating immigration storylines specifically. And the folks you're about to meet change the culture through the wonderful, wonderful immigrant characters that they're putting on screen today. So without further ado, Please allow me to introduce our panelists. We have Miranda Kwok, writer and executive producer of Fox's The Cleaning Lady, which just got picked up for season two. Mike Goyo, co-creator and executive producer of Send Help on AMC's all black streaming service and founder of the Black Boy Rights Mentorship Program. Linda Yvette Chavez, co-creator, co-EP, showrunner of Hent And Melvin Marr, executive producer of Fresh Off the Boat, Doogie Kame Aloha, MD, and almost every other AAPI project you're about to see on American TV. <laughs> Welcome, everyone. I feel like we were able to assemble the Avengers of Immigrant Storytelling here today. Yeah! Like, what is this? Yes, can we give them another round of applause? Um, I also want to shout out Hamza Haq, who is going to be on this panel, but unfortunately could not make it. So, um, he's here in spirit with us. Um, I'm going to kick us off with a little bit of level setting here. So we live in a country of 45 million immigrants. And of those 45, yes, yes, 45 million immigrants, yes! Of those 45, 11 million of those immigrants are undocumented. So even though there's been some improvement in the number of immigrants on television, there's still a lot of work that we have to do to tell more of those stories and to do so authentically. Defined Americans 2020 research with the USC Annenberg Norman Lear Center shows that immigrants are still over criminalized. AAPI immigrants were still underrepresented. Middle Eastern North African immigrants are overrepresented and over villainized. And several immigrant communities weren't even represented at all. Undocumented black immigrants, immigrants with disabilities, transgender immigrants, just zero representation. Now, that was two years ago. We're publishing new research this fall, and we'll see how, how things shape up. But until then, how do we feel TV is doing right now in terms of immigrant representation? Like, how's it how's it going out there? Anyone Anyone can chime in.
3: <laughs> you, Melvin. I mean,
4: I, I think it's getting better. Um, you know, and I, I think for me personally, until this is the uh, until my career is over, it's going to be like a non. It's going to be a constant, you know, uh, goal. Um, you know, um, but in the 20 years that I've sort of uh, been around this, like uh, starting from the very beginning, it's light years different. You know? Um, you know, part of the thing that I love doing, and uh, one of the big focuses of um, my and Jake's company is just like the API focus on it. And I think I, I have this some I have this thing in my head from when I was an intern where. I remember uh, pitching an idea about, like, you know, Asian-American guys, like Asian-American swingers. It wasn't a good idea, but it, I remember, like, bringing it up to uh, the intern coordinator, and very, like, directly, he was like, well, who's gonna be in it? It wasn't even, like, a, a thought of, any. he wasn't even criticizing the idea. It was just not a possibility. That was the home of it, right? And that's something that's never left me, and I, I think, you know? We have to do something about it. Drives me.
3: You it drives you crazy? It,
4: no, it drives me. Oh, it drives, drives me. oh it drives you. It drives
3: you oh, in yeah. a positive way. Oh, yeah. God. It drives forward. <laughs> like, we got to keep going. Right? These things also <laughs> drive, drive me crazy sometimes. That um, too. Yeah, I mean, I think everything you just described is like what we have to tackle. And I think on top of that is, although it's very important to tell immigration stories that start at the border, that it's important to also see immigration stories and immigrants living in this country living as Americans, living in their joy, living in this world, um, because we still are seen as foreign even when we've been here for 30, 40 years. Um, Our stories are still seen as foreign even when we've been here 30, 40 years. Even when our people sometimes are indigenous to the lands were seen as foreign. So I think being able to break out of the narrative of like every immigrant story has to start on the border and has to be rooted in struggle, not that there's anything wrong with telling those stories, I think those are necessary too, but I think when we silo all of our representation to that one place, it starts to really limit who we are and the way the world sees us, and I think being able to break out of that story, being able to tell more varied stories in addition to that one, I think is really important, and I think for me would be the next phase of where we need to go.
5: Absolutely, just to piggyback off of Linda, when you mention like just varied stories, I think we've just kind of like cracked the surface when it comes to uh, telling immigrant stories because beyond telling immigrant stories of different cultures and ethnicities and things like that, there are the subcultures that exist within that, whether you're a gay immigrant or a disabled immigrant or a gay disabled immigrant or different, you know, or, um, different, um, like unique experiences that you're having within being an, an immigrant where you're not wearing your ethnicity or your, uh, or your status on your sleeve, but you're just existing. And being able to tell those stories is just as important.
6: Yeah, I feel really excited right now. Um, I feel very fortunate and very grateful to have the opportunity to actually finally put marginalized voices on the screen for broadcasts uh, on a broadcast network for a wide audience. And um, I think what has been, you know, really heartwarming for me is, you know, when I set out to create the show, I I wasn't thinking about, you know, who's the audience or what do people wanna see? I just decided, I wanna tell a story about an undocumented immigrant, you know, who's unable to work in this country in her own profession and just really dig into her character and who she is and, and all the layers of what that means and, I think the fact that it's been so well received and so well embraced is, is fantastic for, for, for us as creators because it shows that there is an audience and an appetite out there for these stories. And we've proven um, the networks you know, that, you know, that we have a voice and that you know, people are coming out and showing up. Um, so I think it's actually um, a, a fantastic time. Agreed.
2: I think everything's moving forward, right? And, you know, how do we keep moving it forward? I want to touch on something you just mentioned a second ago, Linda, uh, is the idea of joy. Um, And I'm not just saying that because it's my middle name, Um, but, you know, sympathy and suffering have been go-to themes in immigrant storytelling in the past, but we need to graduate from that, right? We need to tell stories that celebrate resilience and joy, um, y'all have all done a really beautiful job in showcasing the joy of immigrants and children of immigrants So I want to hear y'all's reflection on just some joyful Moments for each of your characters like what are some really joyful moments that you want to reflect on? Um, or that you felt uh, passionate about portraying on screen
4: Really enjoyed Chinese superstition like number four. We talked about that on Fresh Off the boat. We talked about um, when I was a kid, we used our um, dishwasher as a drying rack, which um, I remember we, yes. we put that in a script and then there were some ABC execs um, who were like, we don't get this, like, is this a thing? And I was like, yes, it's a thing. And it, it, uh, the funny thing is when the episode aired, it wasn't just like Chinese people or Asian people, like everybody was like, yeah, my mom did, didn't use it. <laughs> like, we just used it to dry the so, home. Um, that was funny, I, I love like those things, those specific things that like, you know, immigrant families are just, um, you know, families that, uh, you know, first generation families, like sort of deal with and, 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 you know, it's specific and great and, you know, it's things that sort of unify everybody. There's a universality to it, yeah.
3: I think for me, um, we had Casimiro, who's pop in the show, um, have a love story with Lupe and being able to see him fall in love and kind of go through the journey of um, finding his joy and and through her learning about thriving versus just surviving, and what it means to be thriving and being in your joy. So there's a scene at El Mercadito in Boyle Heights where they're both like, it's like a little montage of them playing in masks and trying on hats and dancing and having a good time. I think it was you know, being able to see him be happy and joyful and smiling and something that, I know for Marvin and I, my co-creator on the show, we want for our parents and our grandfathers and our aunts and our uncles who are constantly in that um, grind of work. I um, mean, there was a second moment for Betri is Susanna's mom in episode eight of her first season. You see her grinding in the factory the whole episode. And at the end, you see her do, she finally kind of has a win. And she's doing face masks and like dancing with her daughter to 80s music. And, and it's just allowing them to have that, that humanity in a lot of ways. Those were some of my favorite moments to just exist, right? Like, like us just existing, we need to do that.
5: I love that. Joyous moments. <laughs> uh, Send Help is a dark comedy. So <laughs> I wouldn't say that there are a lot of joyous moments per se, but what brings me joy about the show is being able to see a reflection of myself in these characters that I haven't seen before. They're you know, Haitian American characters, They're, you know, not caricatures, they're not monolithic, they're not, you know, uh, the accents are correct, (laughs) which is important. Um, And, you know, uh, being able to show like the kind of layered, um, uh, being able to show that they're layered human beings, basically, you know, that brings me joy. I find that joyous. But also one of our characters is uh, pansexual and, you know, being a pansexual, Haitian American person is, isn't something that you often see, uh, let alone something that's explored on television. So being able to do that um, has been really important to us. But also showing a Haitian mother and like how she expresses grief on television um, is similar to how a lot of immigrant women in their 50s uh, who are, you know, first-generation Americans, express grief, you know, and seeing what that, that looks like um, is something I haven't seen before. So being able to do that and express that um, feels like fulfilling, feels joyous to me, you know?
6: I would say every time Tony and Fiona hit the screen together, that is pure joy. <laughs> um, you know, I, w- one of the things I've always wanted to do is create like a, a female Breaking Bad. Um, but the real touchstone of the show, the real heart of the show is Tony and Fiona and the family. The family is joy, love is joy. Even as they're going through their struggles, you know, the way they back each other up, um, it, it's just incredible. And, and, and honestly, like every draft of the script that comes in, uh, Fox says, how can we get in more Tony and Fiona? What can we do? Like, let's get more scenes with them. And that is amazing um, to, to show that family, to show that love.
2: That's beautiful, we have to to lean into that, right? Um, So next I wanna talk about the good immigrant narrative and I'm gonna throw this to to Linda and Mike, um, but a common narrative is this myth that only good immigrants who are hardworking are worthy of living in the U.S. and are worthy of having rights. Uh, why is this trope problematic? And why do you feel it's important for your immigrant characters to be flawed and and complicated? Start with Linda.
3: I mean, it's problematic because I, you don't have to prove your worth to anyone, <laughs> period. Yes. Um, and I think that, especially if you come from an immigrant family, you know the feeling of constantly needing to prove that you're worthy of being here is like, at the core of everything, and it's exhausting. And I think that there's a lot of amazing movements like Define American that have shown that that narrative is not necessary and that you don't have to be perfect to be seen as worthy of citizenship. And I think that was something that we really tackled in season two of the show with Pop, wanting to show him as flawed. I mean, we see it in the first episode of the show that he you know, gets arrested for throwing a bottle and like, who hasn't had a moment like that where they were drunk and did something, but yet that defines this man who is a pillar of the community, who's run his shop for 30 years, who took care of the kids in the community, who has a family that he loves, and yet this all, that that is what's gonna define him as whether or not he's good or bad, and and whether or not he has to beg to be worthy to be in this country. And that was a big conversation we had and um, when we are developing season two, America especially really helped to have a, to have, to push that conversation around the good versus bad immigrant, and wanting to have that, that pivotal moment in that interview scene where he says, "Buck y'all. like I, I am not gonna beg you all to let me be who, where, to be in a place where I, this is my home, whether you like it or not is what he says. And I think that that's a necessary conversation, or a necessary thing to say and call to action. Um, yeah. I wrote down a quote from him.
6: Yes. Yes.
3: Um, you know, he
2: says this line, I'm not a perfect immigrant but I know I'm not a criminal. And he's looking directly into camera, and it it's, I mean, that encapsulates just everything that you just said, right? Uh, Mike, do you have any on that too?
5: I mean, first of all, nobody's perfect, right? Correct. <laughs> so uh, the idea of, you know, having to create characters like that immediately narrows um, your ability to make your character universal. You know what I mean? So. It's just a false. It's it's a false idea. So, the fact that we're able to create these characters and make them flawed and make them human and make them layered is what makes audiences relate and what widens the demographic of people who are able to relate to it because they could see a bit of themselves in that, no matter your culture, right? So, and that's the great thing about television. is, It's the ability to be able to see yourself in someone else that you wouldn't think you'd be able to connect to and building that connection, you know? Um, so it's always about trying to find the universality in these unique stories in order to help people relate to an experience.
6: Thank you for that. Um, I did yeah, actually please. because you know I, I did get the question in the beginning where people said like aren't you concerned of having a show with people of color be criminals like you have criminals you know represented across the board so why can't Asian women be criminals too right but it's it as as Mike said I mean I'm being a little facetious but as, as Mike said it's about dimensionalizing them and and creating um yeah multi layered characters which is what you want for any character. But also one thing that was really important in, in this particular show is to, is to show that there are a lot of people who get into crime because of their circumstances. And so that is a situation that we did create in the show. It's like she's not choosing to get into crime. She's trying to do everything to get out, but everything keeps pulling her in because of the, you know, the, the forces around her, because of the system, because of a lot of things where she's ultimately just fighting for her child. And so she's making tough decisions based on, you know, not great options that are available to her and and really showing that struggle. And I think that, um, again, like that, so when you do that, when you're able to show um, what's actually going on with a a character, that is when you can humanize them and really get um, an audience to to have empathy and compassion for them. Right, because,
2: uh, you know, Tony, at the end of the day, is a mother who would do anything for her child. I mean that's a universal thing that we can all that that everyone can relate to. Everyone either, you know, as a child or is is someone's child or, or or has you know children in their lives, and so um, you know really appreciate the you know, the nuance of just that lens first and foremost with her, right? Um, so just as a, a follow-up um, to to that, and this one will go to um, Miranda and Melvin. But in Define American's 2020 research with USC, 12% of immigrant characters on television were AAPI versus real life in which 26% of immigrants in America are AAPI. That's the largest disparity between representation and real life of any other immigrant group. And people don't realize that AAPIs are actually the fastest growing racial group in America. Y'all know that? Yeah, Yeah. so yay. We're coming up, um, so you're both doing a lot of work for API representation through both of your projects. Um, you know what else needs to happen out there to move API represent API immigrant representation forward? Um, I'll start with Melvin.
4: I mean, I think, like I said earlier, it's headed in the right direction. But I, you know, the thing that I always say is, um, just more writers and creators like Miranda and like everyone on here just telling those stories. That's just when somebody like Miranda comes up with a show, writes it, and puts it out there, even more than like, actors in front of the camera. It's even more important. Like That's the key to all of it. you know. And um, I, I remember, like, I make myself sound old, because I am, but like, I remember when I just knew all the AAPI writers in town. And now I get really happy when I just meet some that I don't know, like I didn't know Miranda. And we just met, and that's awesome. You know, we, Hollywood Fox imported her from at Toronto. So that's good, good for them. Like you know, like that needs to happen on a huge level, and I think it's on its way to happening. And and, and um, you know, it's it's really, really cool.
6: I think yeah, just keep you know being passionate about telling stories that matter and that matter to you, um, and I, I you know. This isn't the first show that I pitched um, to have a an, you know a predominantly Asian cast, um, and I didn't have that much. You know, I sold a show um, that you know got to script, but it was a little before its time. It was before Crazy Rich Asians, and the, and you know we have to be honest. Like that did open a lot of doors. That showed that showed people um, that are concerned about finances that there there is that audience and that people will make money, um, and. And, and that really allowed um, executives to see um, and, and then look for that representation and look for those voices. So, I mean, that's why I say I feel, I feel lucky. You know, I, I didn't, um, you know, I, I hit at a time, I pitched the show at a time where people were looking for that content. Um, and so that, that all lends to the success of it. Um, but, but again, it's, it's about telling the story that moves you, that you are passionate about, and and not giving up, you know, because it's that passion that you know when you tell a story that speaks from your heart, that's that's what's gonna sell.
2: I want I want to commend you for just the Southeast Asian representation on your show. Um, you know, you've really turned this cleaning lady stereotype on its head with these powerful, uh, you know, just badass. Filipina and and Cambodian women, you know, have you gotten any any feedback from Southeast Asian communities about the show? I mean, I'll tell you when I heard the Gallo being spoken on screen, I almost passed out.
6: Yeah, yeah, honestly, it's it's been Amazing Um, and and that is honestly why representation matters like people say that phrase all the time representation matters and I never felt it more than now and there've been so many people who have reached out randomly on, you know, Instagram or Twitter to say thank you, thank you. I finally feel seen. I can't believe they're speaking Tagalog, or, um, you know, I can't believe you put Della Rosa, you know, on, you know, on a on a show, and my my parents would be in tears, and all of that just really touches me and moves me so much. Um, uh, and, and then it's you know it's it's Asian representation there's um immigration you know Im- immigrant representation um people who have just you know say like this was my parents story or my story but I felt so alone and so I, I feel like this is why the show is being received is that people are are you know are connecting with the messages or connecting with the stories and the characters and they finally feel like they're not alone they finally feel like they have a voice
5: can I actually add a little something to that Heck, too yeah that I- you can
6: Thank you, Charlene.
5: <laughs> um, so, I would say most of you here are writers, right? No? Yeah. So, yes, okay, great. Um, so, a lot of times I find that writers will try to write what they think the network will want, or they will write something that's like, oh, okay, well, this show's successful, let me write something like that, because whatever they greenlit was successful, so let me try that, right? The thing is, sometimes the network doesn't know what they want until they've read it. So I would say, in your work, be as specific as possible. You know, in your experience, if that's what you're wanting to write about, like, share that, because oftentimes, and in our situations, we've been very specific about what it is that we, we want to write and want to see. and that resonated with those, those networks. So I, I would say don't think so much about mandates or what you see is working out there. Think about yourself and think about what you can uniquely bring to the project or to a story or to a network and just let the cards fall where they may because it will make you a success. 100%. Uh, I'm going to jump on that too because
4: I like I've, experienced it firsthand where, you know, I'll, I'll tell the story because that's a very, I've told it many times where he, you know, I met with him, I didn't know him. And he's, I made fun of him. I said, I learned your name from the script font at the end of Friends because he was on Friends Forever. And we sat and had lunch and he kept telling me like, how about this roommate story? How about that? I go, they're all rip offs of Friends, Scott. Like, <laughs> like, it's not that exciting, but okay. And then um, I just started talking to him about where he was from. He's from yonkers and he talked about how he became a comedy writer because his brother was a bully to him and you know that thing and the very last detail he like threw it away he was just like oh yeah he has cerebral palsy and i'm like that's the show like you've never seen a kid in a wheelchair with cerebral palsy be a dick on tv that's awesome <laughs> like we should do that and then you know it's like his story he knew it like with his eyes closed he could just spit it out and he did And it was set up at Fox. Michael Thorne was not there. Um, And uh, they didn't wanna make it. So, you know, Scott was like, but I poured my heart out and I was like, we're gonna make it. Just hang on a sec. And, you know, what you're saying is really apt because it's what you know and it's likely gonna be one of the best things you've ever written because you know it so well. And the rest of it, when it comes to getting it made, is a timing thing and like, Immediately after Fox passed on it, we took it, and I gave it to ABC, and within three drafts was ordered to pilot. Like, that's, it happened. But what he's saying is 100% correct. As a writer, you feel it that way, do that, stick with it. You know, my good friend, Phil, who's here, but not in this room, will say, make the show you want to make, because it'll cancel you anyway.
2: Um, so next, I want to talk about uh, the idea of assimilation. Um, and I'm gonna throw this to Mike and Melvin, but there's this false ideal of assimilation, which implies that immigrants have to give up their customs and culture to become American. Um, you know, how have you balanced your characters' relationships to their cultural identities, along with other aspects about them, you know, their hopes and fears and dreams are existing?
4: I don't think, I mean, the needle that we thread all the time on our shows is, it's not about assimilation, but it's about adding to what it means to be American, you know? And I remember uh, early on pitching Fresh Off the Boat, it was years ago where like, it was still a little taboo, like the title wasn't Some people made people uncomfortable, mostly PC white people. But, um, you know, and we started talking about like, what Fresh Off the Boat meant, right, just as an American and uh, I remember the head of 20th at the time was this guy named Johnny Davis, who's the whitest man you've ever met, like just the waspiest guy ever, right? And we would walk into pitches with him, and we're like, everybody's off a boat, unless you're you know, um, Native American or First Nation, I learned that, in Canada." Um, you know, like, so we started calling Johnny like Mayflower Davis in, in our pitches. <laughs> And it worked, so we sold it. It was like, he's off a boat, we're off a boat, Mayflower Davis is, you know? Like, so, I mean, that's kind of the you know philosophy in which started with the pitch and it goes throughout the show. Like, everybody adds something to the fabric of what it means to be uh, American. And
5: everybody is some form of an immigrant, you know? I'll just echo what he said because I don't get assimilation. I feel like it's a false idea of what it means to be American because America is a melting pot of different cultures and always has been. So the idea of assimilating to of being American is just strange um, <laughs> and not doesn't feel accurate. Um, so when it comes to my work, I don't think about it. I just think about you know creating. Um, the most authentic characters um, and allowing them to live. Yeah. Allowing them
2: to exist, right, there, that, there's that again. Um, I wanna talk more about your characters, Mike, um, and I, I wanna share this um, statistic with everyone that like today in the US, one in every 10 black Americans is an immigrant, according to Pew. And that's, not, that's a stat that not a lot of people know, um, yet, black Americans' stories are often just erased from pop culture and from the broader immigrant conversation altogether. Um, and I mean all kinds of black immigrants, you know, I'm talking about Afro-Latina immigrants, African immigrants, folks from the Caribbean, Haitian immigrants. Um, so I want to praise characters like Jessica on Gentified and, um, and Fritz in, in Mike's upcoming series Send Help. Can you, can you tell us a little bit about your new project and just the need for stories that reflect the experiences of black immigrants?
5: Yeah, absolutely. Um, first, I'll say this. I was born in Haiti, um, moved to the States when I was four. We moved to Boston, Massachusetts. And what I discovered upon moving is that I wasn't shocked by like my Caucasian counterparts. I almost expected them to be different. What I was shocked by is other black people that didn't speak Creole. Like, I, I'm i four years old, I see you look like I do, and I'm speaking to you, but you do not speak my language. It was my first um, instance of like, oh, okay. Not having the language then, of course. I didn't know what monolithic meant then. Um, but being able to identify that we live varied experiences and come from different places started very young. Um, So when you think about, or when I think about creating um, Send Help, I want to be able to show that, yes, African American culture exists in the States, it's prevalent, black culture exists, yes, but there are subcultures within being black that exists, whether you're an immigrant, whether you're Haitian American, Jamaican American, um, you know, uh, from any one of the African countries that exist, um, you know, and we all like have a different subcultures that exist. You know what I mean? So, being able to explore that is important. So, Send Help is about a Haitian American actor. Living in in LA, trying to pursue his career while also navigating his different relationships between his friends, his lovers, and his family that happens to be three thousand miles away back in Boston while he's living in, living in LA, and he's doing all this all while kind of processing the PTSD of you know some a tragedy that's taken place. It's like a Barry meets like Fleabag, um, so. It's important to be able to show this Haitian-American man just existing and living and taking care of his family and what that looks like for a lot of immigrant you know, children, like second-generation, first-generation immigrant children, who are having to take care of their families, what that looks like. Um, but also just seeing him just exist in the space of just being a, an American person um, and what that looks like. So it's been really important for us to be able to to show that. Aside from that, what's really been important to us as well is mental health, specifically black male mental health and what that looks like, you know? Uh, And being able to explore that and being able to see, okay, how does my inability to express myself leak into my different relationships or affect my different relationships? You know what I mean? So, um, yeah, I, I think it's important. Please check it out. <laughs> the show uh, comes out in August on um, AMC's new streaming platform called All Black. Um, and yeah, check, check out it.
2: This next one's for Miranda and Linda. Um, you know, in your shows, *The Cleaning Lady* and *Hentified*, respectively, you've both really led the charge in recent years uh, in, de- in depicting undocumented characters on screen, and in doing so with nuance, and also mixed-status families with nuance. Um, can you each tell us about your very deliberate decisions to include undocumented characters on on screen? I want to start with.
6: Yeah, I mean, it was such an unrepresented um, group, especially on television. Usually, people who are undocumented are are told to just stay silent and stay in the shadows and not tell their stories. And you know, there, are, a lot of them are, are afraid to tell their stories because it's it's dangerous. You know, somebody can be here for twenty, thirty years and still get deported, and they've built a life here. And so, um, so representing that perspective was was very important. Um, and then, as you said, um, creating a family with a mixed status was also really important because that's what a lot of people don't even realize—that you know, somebody may be undocumented, but then their children are not. And then, so what happens? You know, if if somebody gets deported, and the whole family is split apart, um, and what that does to to a family, because obviously, you, you, you know, are you going to bring your child, you know, to a country that they've never been to, when there's so many opportunities here and a life here? So um, we really wanted to to give voice to that as well, and, and even tell the story of of uh, Chris, who finds out, you know, um, that he he actually is undocumented, even though he thought he was born here. Um, you know, because again, that's it's something that a lot of a, a lot of parents are afraid to talk about. Um, you, you know, you, you don't tell people, you don't tell people, who, you know, what your status is um especially you know children children's friends change children talk and and so it's it's a very scary it's a very scary situation so we wanted to to represent that as well
3: yeah you know it's funny cuz your question earlier about what are the immigrant stories that we need to see now is it's such a double edged sword because on one hand it's like there's still so much fear and so many folks hiding and not talking about their stories at the same time we you know that we need the the joy is like here and, and safe stories, and I think you know with Pop, we were developing this series around the time that Trump came into um, presidency, and you know I remember the day after it was a very somber day, and we had already a pre-scheduled meeting to um, you know work on our pitch with our producers, and we just all um, went around, and and one of our, our producers like. They were recording us because we were trying to fix a certain part of the pitch and, and they were like, just tell us what you're feeling and what you want to say with this. And of course for Marvin and I, it was very emotional because there had been a lot of, you know, a lot of the things that he was saying um, about Mexican communities, immigrant communities from Latin America was was dangerous and, and painful to hear things that being said nationally, things that we've heard our whole lives that are always painful to hear. And so we you know, we kind of poured our hearts out in that moment, and I think, as we were developing the pitch after that, the layer of having pop be undocumented actually came after the fact because we there was so much happening during that time that we felt to not talk about it felt wrong in some ways, even though at the same time we wanted to move away from that. We were like, enough, like I, the number of stories I get, um, pitches, scripts about the border and undocumented immigrants it's obscene sometimes where I'm kind of like, hey guys, we have other stories too, and why am I getting all this, those stories? <laughs> where are they all being sent to all the Latinos, um, Latinas, and and I think like we want to get away from that, but at the same time, it's like, the reality is we do live with those people in our families, in our own families, you know, in our own writer's room. Like We're talking about going through the very experience that we're putting on camera, and yet at the same time, this country is still making us feel like we can't tell those stories because their cliche or we're over it, like this, this weird in-between place that like we have to live in. And so with pop, it was important to us to, if we were gonna tell that story, how are we gonna do it differently? And this journey of seeing a family, not separated at a border, but separated over time, here in the States, you see them have Thanksgiving, you see them have Christmas together, you see them living their lives, and how it really is to be have a family member going through that process, how painful it is, how difficult it is. And we wanted to show that. We wanted to show that with a character that we wanted to make everyone fall in love with first, which is why we don't talk about him being documented all of first season. You don't find out till the very end. And that was purposeful, because we wanted you to fall in love with him. We wanted you to love him. So he, we wanted you to be like, that's my grandpa. And then at the end, be like, whoa, my grandpa's undocumented. you like, could be a white person watching, or a person who is doc- or a citizen, and realize, oh, OK. like The people who are out there that look just like numbers to you are not numbers, they're pop. And that's Pop's family. Like, is this what you're gonna do to them? Are you gonna like, tear them apart in that way? And so that journey for Pop in the second season, we really tried to like, la- stick the landing on in terms of like, what that story looks like.
6: Yeah, I, I was also developing the show um, during the time where there were the unprecedented ice raids across the country. And there was a particular day when 680 um, you know, people were, were, were swept up by ice. And it was the first day of school. And it was so heartless, you know. And seeing those children was heartbreaking. And that's when I, I pitched, like, let's let's do an ice raid, let's do it in the pilot. And Warner Brothers was like, okay, well, maybe. Like, why don't we why don't we get to know our characters first? It was exactly that. It was like, let's let's have let's have an audience fall in love with them, and then and then show them what happened. And so, um, so yeah, we we put a pin in it. We thought like, let's see. And for for a while, it was. Like maybe at the season finale, and what was really interesting is that um, when we did the test um, for the pilot, and uh, we had uh, you know these um, these dialogues with people who, who scream the pilot episode, and I got to watch on Zoom because I was you know I was not showing my face, and it was amazing because people were so um, drawn in to the immigration storylines um, and 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 the struggles that they face, and they were so. Um, excited and interested to hear this perspective um, actually shown on screen, and so after that test screening, Fox actually said, "Yeah, let's 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 just go for it. Let's just dive in. Let's bring those stories up." So a lot of those storylines, um, we dug in further, and and you know it has paid off. Yeah, I really appreciate
2: both of what you're saying about. Not having their status define who who they are—that comes up in our consulting blog. Um, you know, just wanting to have that be a label on uh, on on a character when there are so many other facets to that, right?
5: It can't be the center of the story. That's okay. the thing. It just—it can't. I feel like we were all at some point developing a pilot about immigration story around the Trump era. <laughs>
6: What? sorry, I have to say this because um, you know, you're talking about the response and, um, you know, re- reaching, you know, changing hearts and minds. And it's so much more difficult to change minds, but it's, you know, what we do is try to reach people's hearts. And um, not only has, you know, it been so rewarding that people have come forward to say, thank you. I finally feel seen. But on the flip side of that, there have been people, and LED tells a story that um, she has neighbors who are avid Trump supporters and um, completely against undocumented immigrants. And after episode five, they said they were bawling their eyes out. And their opinions have changed because of it. And you know, that's, that's like the dream, <laughs> that you can actually reach people.
2: I want to punctuate that with just some of the research that we did with USC and in, in parasocial relationships, and it's exactly what you're saying that you know when when viewers develop a, a, an imagined friendship with a character or parasocial relationship with a character, um, especially when those folks are members of a marginalized community, it can actually reduce prejudice, especially among those who don't have interaction with those folks in real life. So. You know it's so meaningful to to create these characters with nuance to to create these connections um be- because of this so uh, thank you for saying that let's talk about comedy let's lighten it up right <laughs> oh thank gosh. <laughs> so in addition to just creating these connections comedy is also a really powerful tool right um and you know melvin i i watched you on a panel yesterday and you said something really interesting about you know when you're when you're laughing, you're comfortable, and when you're comfortable, you're listening. And I really appreciated that. And so I'd love to throw this to anyone to just talk about um, using comedy as a tool to deliver tough topics.
5: I feel like there's like the Norman Lear era of comedy, right, that came at, oh, (laughs) (laughs) yes, Norman, yes, we we love Norman. Yes, yes, love it, we know, we love it. and that whole like golden era of comedy came at a time when we were making, where there are a lot of changes taking place, and a lot of minds were being changed, you know. And to your point, and I think to what you're, what you basically what you just said, is that when you're able to laugh, it lets your guard down, so that you're able to see and understand something beyond, beyond yourself, you know. Um, and you're not being attacked. Um, so, I think he, like, I, him is masterful in that in, in, with his shows because it allowed you to see different sides of people and get you to relate to them. Even uh, Archie Bunker, you know what I mean? <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Being able to relate to him. So, I, I love comedy for being able to, to do that because it does really allow people to let their guard down and... and, and Consume information that they otherwise wouldn't have.
3: I feel like comedy is medicine, but comedy is also power, and comedy can disarm. Comedy can put the power back in the hands of people who don't historically have the power. And I think both in front of and behind the camera. So for him to fight it was wonderful for Marvin and I to be holding the keys to what we get to make fun of um, that people historically might have made fun of us for, like our food, our immigrant parents, our inability to say cert like. A code switching in moments where like I don't remember how to say that in English, like all of that, like we got to take that and put it into a show and, and even being working class, like for us it's it's multi-layered. It's not only immigrant family, but it's also being a working class family, having working class backgrounds, the things that that the world would look at us and shame us for, we got to take and make it our own and empower ourselves and empower our characters to be the ones who tell you like this is who we are and this is how we function. And for us it came from our own families. Like growing up, and, and I don't know if this is just a Mexican thing or all immigrant families, but like making fun of everything, even the most dire situations is like the way to do things. Because <laughs> the trauma is too real. And you're just like, make a joke, make a joke, make a joke. Because like you're just trying to get through it. And you learn it from your parents. It's survival techniques. It's survival tactics. like It's how you get through some of the more, more grim, difficult things in your life. And and we wanted to show that in the show. Like our characters, this is still a comedy. So the second season was a little bit sadder, but because um, there's a whole pandemic that influenced our artistry. But I think that like, you know, part of making the show for us was to show that like, yes, we have dark times, but like all of the media about us doesn't have to be about us being sad, and morose, in and sepia tones, like crying and like depressed, because that's not like, you know, everything you see, you, you know, pre the last probably five years has been that dramatic, sad version of us and like, that's not the people that I know. That's not the family that I grew up with. Like my, the funniest people I know is my mom, my grandma, my tias crack me. They say the most inappropriate shit. And that's where I get my humor from. And I think it's so important for us to allow the full range of our identity in that way. And that also humanizes us. Because if we're just these sad things that you have to save from tragedy, like why would you, like, why would you see us as whole people? you're seeing us as, as like something that needs to be saved. No, we're, we're the full gamut of everything. And so that's why I love comedy. That's just a very beautiful way to take back your power.
4: Yeah, I, I, I agree. For me personally, it's, you know, other than making it sort of a mantra of like professionally, it's how I got through adolescence, you know, being able to laugh about it. It's medicine. It heals everything, <laughs> so I think you know using it is uh, is how you get across to a wider audience and get people to listen.
2: Give it up for comedy! <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. So yeah, we want to see more more comedy out there in, in immigrant stories. What other kinds of immigrant stories do you we want to see? I mean, like if sky's the limit, no budget. Like what type of stories? Do do you each want to see out there uh, for immigrants? Put them in space too.
4: There's nobody from Disney here, right? <laughs> uh, I'm uh, I, I'm really proud of something we're working on now. That um, if they were here, they would say that like I have the attitude, guys. Limit there's no budget, but it's um, not true. I'm very responsible. You know, it's uh, we're working on the adaptation of uh, American Born Chinese, the graphic novel, and. To me, it's, it's probably one of, it's the one thing that I've, I've loved for over a decade, just the book itself. And, um, you know, having done Fresh Off the Boat, um, you know, Kelvin Yu and I talked about it and saw it as a way to sort of tell the next level of the Chinese-American family story, you know? And Gene Yang, who wrote the graphic novel, just, um, I just had such a great grasp. And I don't know if you guys know who he is, but he's a comic book writer and artist. Um, He does a lot of work for Marvel and DC. Um, And this, in this graphic novel, he talks about just, like, the stories we grew up with. You know, like the Monkey King. Just, like, you know, very, you know, sacred Eastern myths. You know, stuff that we would hear about all the time. And I remember sitting in my grandmother's uh, living room and watching these, like, old TVB, like, Chinese martial arts movies. And we're getting to blend it, you know, with um, you know, a story about a, a kid in high school. And it, it's a wider um, canvas, and we get to do some really cool martial arts stuff. Dustin Cretton is directing it, you know. Um, so we borrowed the whole Shang-Chi stunt team. <laughs> so, you know, it's, uh, it's great. And, and um, you know, to me, that's like the evolution of, if you get to do Fresh Off the Boat, what's the next thing? you're going to do, you know, and i am really glad that came along cuz for a while i remember thinking as fresh up the what was ending like so i've checked the box, right? like no one's ever going to like blame me for not doing something and then i i realized after that that it's not about that. It's like if you get one you got to get as many as you can, you know. Like Phil says they'll cancel you anyway. But it, you know, it reminds me of just like Growing up with a house full of boys, it's like you better eat, otherwise somebody else will eat. So
2: <laughs> what other kinds of stories do we want to see out there? What do we, I mean, it doesn't have to be something that you necessarily want to make, but like who do we wanna see on screen? We haven't
3: I wanna see more like older immigrant ladies doing badass things. Like we saw, it. I have not watched the yet but like I saw that trailer and I was like Oh my God! I was like this. It, you know what's beautiful too? Or I'm talking about everything, everywhere, all at once. We're all on the same page. I saw that trailer and I thought, oh, that one script that I've been wanting to get made, it can probably finally get made now, because here is this incredible uh, proof of concept of an older immigrant woman with an accent doing just badass things. I was, I wanted to cry because I was like, oh, the number of times that like, you know, people are like, oh, cute, cute, cute. What's oh, Let's see what you have over here. Like, there's just not. Like, I, I want to see that. I want to see those stories. And maybe because I'm like a mama's girl, <laughs> I like very much want to see those women be empowered and fulfilled and, and seen in ways that, you know, we often don't get to see them because they sacrifice so much for us, you know? So I would love to see that. And, and to see more more women being badass in general, I think, is a lot of what my slate is leaning towards in, in my world, is just wanting to see women be imperfect. I mean, I have, a, I have a, a movie, I'm Not Your Perfect Mexican Daughter, that I wrote that America's going to be directing. But a lot of that, a lot of people, a lot of, like, just Latinas not being perfect, and a lot of allowing us to be flawed, and, um, and immigrant families, like, all of that, like, I think I want to see more of it, but, and I think just genre, genre stuff is really cool to me, and I think seeing us in those roles, and having our stories woven into it in a way that's not, just about, that that's not the center of it, it's really about the people, I think would be beautiful to see.
5: I love that. There are a couple that I'm working on that I can't talk about. (laughs) Um, There's an animated feature um, that I'm really excited about that deserves to be seen, that will be seen, that looks amazing, and yeah, can't wait to share more about that. Um, There's this book that I would love to adapt, it's called What Storm, What Thunder? It's about different people in Haiti after the earthquake happened. It's like a six degrees of separation, like perspective of like eight different people living their lives, but how their lives interweave after the earthquake. Um, that I would love to explore. Um, and then there's another feature about a, you know, star soccer player who discovers that he was illegal, uh, ends up getting deported, but then smuggles himself back into the country to help his high school team win the championship game, soccer game, Um, and of course be with his family and his girlfriend who was also pregnant and having their first child. Um, So yeah, I think the story that I'm most excited about, I am currently trying to make.
6: Um, I guess an immigrant story is that I would love to see on screen is one where there are no borders, right? That defies all that, you know? Borders are a man-made construction. Down
2: with borders. <laughs> all right, I'm getting the five-minute uh, warning here, so I want to open it up to questions from the audience, if we have any. Uh, yes, you in the second row. Why
1: do you think- Stories that are running to opportunity are not are limited to white spaces only.
3: Like, if you think about Emily in Paris, that's an immigrant story. She
2: was in a completely different country.
3: But my dad always said. I wish I had the answer to that. Like, what's it going to take to change a lot of things, you know? I think we're all trying to do the work in some way, but I think that the fundamental thing that we're all talking about here is how many people can you get behind the camera to tell those stories? How many people can you get in front of the camera to tell those stories? Because those are the people who are going to see it the way that you're seeing it, right? Like, that are going to see it. And I have the same thing with my parents. They're like, I love Mexico. What, What I love, before we did season two, I asked my parents, what do you want to see? What do you? What would you like to see for season two? Just because I was curious, and they were like, "Oh, we want Pop to go back to Mexico," and I was like, "You held on what? Like you want him to be deported?" <laughs> and they were like, "No, you know." It, they were like, "We want him to go home and to show everybody how beautiful Mexico is and how we didn't want to leave. That we love where we're from and that it's a beautiful country and that it's special and it's everything that." we love, you know, and and that was a, one of the reasons why Pop does go back to Mexico at the end and you see him visiting his father's grave because we're so many immigrants like exactly that. They don't want to leave. They they want to be in their homes, with tierra, you know, like that's my parents are constantly talking about that. And I think that's that's vital, but it's going to take people like you, like me, like us up here to be able to tell the stories because we are experiencing them firsthand. So we're telling like I said earlier in the earlier panel, we're telling it from a place of love and we can find the nuance in that, right? We can find the nuance in what we've experienced. Um, you know, and, and, and then with Amelie, I don't, I don't know. Like, she's, she's cute and white and <laughs> <laughs> documented. And <laughs> people like that in this country, you know? Like, so I think it's a very multi layered struggle to, to change that. But, you know, you got us, and we hopefully yeah. more people.
4: I, I'll answer it this way I can't talk about one of them, but I hear you, and you're right. And maybe we can talk about it in a month. But um, you know, I've always thought the same thing, and on the shows that have already aired and gone, like Fresh Up the Boat, we season three, we went to Taiwan. Because it was important to us to talk about why family immigrated and you know it was through the guys that the children just not understanding, you know, but they do at the end of it. And then even on speechless, we really seized on like many being English. And we went back to went to London, So, you know. so I think in all of um, the shows that I work on, I try to find some way that when you have an immigrant in it or some somebody who is um, contributing to being American but isn't born here, like you have to find the nuance in it and um, what sort of the, the gratifying experience you know, and, and how it's at. Um, and we try to do it. Um, I'm, I'm proud of the two shows that we, we did, do something about it. Um, season three, usually when it's season three, um, strategically I try to get them to spend the most money possible on that first one. And then, then they're in. So um, there's a little of just uh, producing in it.
3: I think we did
2: it, y'all. Thank you all for being here again, and thank you all for your time and energy. Check out DefineAmerican.com if you want to learn more about how we work with Hollywood, and look out for our new research with USC this fall. We will see you around. Happy Immigrant Heritage Month. You have
1: been listening to the TV Campfire podcast hosted by ATX TV co-founders Emily Gibson and Caitlin McFarland and produced and edited by Sarah Light. This conversation was recorded live
0: at ATX TV Festival Season 11 in Austin, Texas between June 2nd and 5th,
1: 2022. For more information on the festival and becoming an ATX TV member, follow us at ATX Festival or visit atxfestival.com.